I want to thank everybody for, uh, especially Pastor Chris and the elders, for encouraging me to do this. Um, some of you know, preaching is not my um, favorite thing to do. I know that sounds odd coming from a pastor, but I, I do more on the, 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 the pastor stuff, the one-on-one, the, the getting into mixing it up with people. I still get nervous every time I come up to preach, so I appreciate being encouraged to stretch myself and come out and do this this morning. Um, it's a good day to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. Another month has gone by. Um, the month of, uh, we're into the month of September now. We're coming into the home stretch of 2019. Doesn't that seem weird? This, this whole year has seemed to just fly by me. I, I, I keep turning around and it's a different month. It's, it's just been crazy. It's just gone by so fast, at least until the last two weeks. Um, some of you know, um, I've been on a diet the last two weeks. And the last two weeks have kind of crept by in slow, slow pace. You know, I'm, I'm waiting patiently for the time that I can eat. <laughs> so I, I've really appreciated the words of encouragement that I've gotten from a lot of you guys. I, I, I really do appreciate that. It's meant a lot to me. I'm not used to that. I didn't grow up with a whole lot of encouraging words. My family was not terribly great at being an encouragement. I thought my sister was going to say something encouraging to me about my weight once, um, but it didn't quite work out. She, she said, Corey, don't worry when people call you fat. You're bigger than that. <laughs> she tried. It can be hard to be an encouragement. I'm sure she meant well. But that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about encouragement. So uh, please keep your Bibles open as Lee read from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Um, let me ask you a question, though, while you're, while you're getting that pulled up, if you closed your Bible. Have you ever been told, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all? How many of you have ever heard that expression before? My mom said that a lot growing up. Um, I probably should have listened more. I often said things that, even by the wildest stretched imagination, couldn't be considered nice. Um, but, so maybe there's some truth to that concept that if you don't have anything nice to say, you should just say nothing at all. But it seems like the Bible holds us to a higher standard than that. So let's look at our text in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Lee read it earlier, so I'm not going to read it again. Um, but leave your Bible open because we're going to be referring to it often. If you're like me, you've probably heard this text many times. You've probably read it many times. Um, but we're going to look at it more deeply today, specifically so that we can learn some things about encouragement. Now, we're going to look at some other texts too, just so we can get a nice holistic view of the topic of encouragement from the Bible. But we're primarily going to draw from this text in Hebrews 10. And as we look there, I think we can find some important truths that have been put there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us to have here today. As I was preparing for this, uh, Pastor uh, Chris asked me, do you want to continue my sermon series in Romans, or do, what do you want to do? And, and I've been listening, I always listen to the, the, the podcast of his sermon series, and I'm keenly aware of just what a knockout job he is doing in the book of Romans, and I don't want to have comparisons. Um, <laughs> no, not really. I prayed about it, and I prayed and asked God what he would have for me to bring to you today. 
and, and over and over again, I kept coming back to this idea of encouragement. This idea that we need encouragement. So here in this text in Hebrews chapter 10, I think the first thing that we find there as we're learning about encouragement is the source of our encouragement. You see, before we can be an encouragement to others, we first have to be encouraged ourselves. So I'm going to spend some time today trying to encourage you in the best way that I know how. And the best way I know to encourage you is to remind you of the good news of the gospel. Because that's the source of all of our encouragement, all our hope and all our joy. Amen? So the first part of the source of our encouragement we find as we read in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We can boldly enter into the holy places. Let's drive that home a little bit uh, so we can understand that, so we can really get excited about it, okay? We've got to remember that this book was written to the Hebrews, so there's a cultural context there that, that I'm going to help us kind of get and understand. To picture what this means, what, what this would have meant to the people that received this letter, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a Moabite of old, and you're looking down on the camps of the Israelites down in a valley. You're up on a high place, and you can see down there their tents and their tabernacle spread out there below you. You're attracted by what you see, and so you make your way down into the valley, and you come around to the tent of meeting, and it has these high linen walls that go up way above your head. And you make your way around, and there is, is an opening, a gate, and there's a man standing there. And you make your way around to him, and you say, can I come in there? And the man says, no, I'm sorry, you can't. It's clear you're a Moabite. You would have to be born again as an Israelite to be able to enter into the tabernacle courtyard. I wish I was born an Israelite, you say. And as you continue to look through the gateway there, you see a man entering into the tabernacle proper. And you say, what's in there? And the man says, oh, that's the, that's the main tabernacle building there. Inside there is a beautiful room. It's well decorated. It has a lampstand and a table and an altar. And that man is going in there. He's going to trim the wick on the, the lampstand. He's going to eat the bread that's there on the table. And he's going to burn incense on the altar to our Lord. And you say, oh, I wish I was born an Israelite so that I could go in there and offer up my prayers and my worship to the Lord. And the man looks confused and says, you know what, I can't even go in there. You don't understand. You wouldn't just have to be an Israelite. You would have to be reborn as an Israelite of the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron to be able to go in there. Only priests can go in there. And you say, oh, that would be amazing. What else is in there? And he tells you, oh, there's a beautiful veil. I'm told it's beautiful. And it divides the room in half. And on the other side of the veil is the Ark of the Covenant. And there above the Ark of the Covenant is the Shekinah glory cloud of God Himself. There, present, to be worshipped. And you say, oh, I wish 
that I had been born an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron, so that I could go in there and spend all day, every day, in there in the most holy places, the Holy of Holies, so I could worship God all day, every day. And the man at the gate looks shocked. He says, no, you misunderstand. He, only the high priest of all Israel can go into that room. And he can only do it for a little while, on one day a year, after the most elaborate of preparations. You, you just can't do it. And so you walk away, hopeless and discouraged. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Through Christ's shed blood, we cannot only enter the holy of holies, we can enter into the holy presence of God in heaven itself. And he doesn't just invite us to come there and visit for a little while, he invites us to come and dwell there with him. He invites us to live there with, uh, with him. You see that veil that divided the tabernacle? It was actually composed of three veils. Three pieces of cloth that were together. They were three different colors. There was a blue one, a scarlet one, and a purple one. And they, were they represented Christ. Did you know that? The blue represented heaven because he was the son of God. The red represented the fact that he was also the son of man. Red for the blood in our veins. In fact, the name Adam actually means red. And purple, if you take the other two colors and you mix them together so well that you can't tell where one ends and the other begins, you get purple. And there in the person of Jesus Christ, divinity was blended with humanity and humanity with divinity in such a way that it's impossible to tell where one ends and the other begins. That veil in the temple represented the incarnate Christ, and the veil was a barrier between sinful men and the holiness of God. And let me tell you something, Jesus' life was the same. You see, he lived a perfect, sinless, blameless, spotless life. He lived the kind of life that you and I would have to live if we were going to be able to come into the presence of God on our own. You see, his perfectly righteous life condemns us. It's a standard that we can never live up to. But praise His name, His death redeemed us. That's the second source of our encouragement. That it's about Christ's righteousness, not mine. Verse 20 says, We enter through the curtain that is His flesh. Perfection was rent asunder so that we would no longer be separated from God and that we could enter boldly into His presence, not because of something that I've done, not because of my righteousness, but because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Praise God that it's not about my righteousness. I know I would never measure up. Isaiah tells me that all my righteousness is as filthy rags. I didn't need to read Isaiah to know that, though. I knew it. But... Despite the fact that I had no hope, Jesus made a way. If that's not encouraging to you, then I don't know what is. I'm serious. If that doesn't stir you up and encourage your heart, maybe it's because you haven't met my Savior. And I'm here to tell you, you can meet Him today. You can stop living a hopeless life, and you can have the hope that only comes from your heart resting in the hand of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you find that we have a perfect advocate. 
Verse 21 says that we have a great high priest over the house of God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us right now. He is speaking on your behalf at this very moment in heaven. He's interceding. He's guiding. Our great high priest Jesus is both the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest all in one. And so we can rest in the assurance of purification. Verse 22 says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Have you ever been outside working and you got really dirty? Just like mud and sweat and dust caked on you in layers? Or maybe you went camping and you had to skip the shower for a couple days? Or maybe you're just a teenager boy in our church. And... <laughs> How good did it feel when you got under that shower for the first time and got cleaned up? Felt pretty good, right? You get all cleaned up and you feel wonderful. You get excited about how clean you are. Maybe you even do like I do and you come out to your, to your wife or your husband and you say, Hey, smell me. Don't I smell clean? I'm sorry I do that, Becky. Well, our sin and our selfishness are like layers of dirt and muck and mire that are caked around our heart, weighing us down with all the guilt and the shame and the blame until we just can't stand it anymore. But 1 John 1, 9 tells us that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that when that happens... We take on the fragrance of Christ for the people around us. How amazing is that? We get to smell like Jesus. We get so cleaned up that we smell like Jesus to the people around us. That's better than Old Spice. That is an amazing thing to think of. No wonder that this inspires us to have hope in God's faithfulness. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Unwavering hope. Don't you feel like you need unwavering hope right now? I, I, there's a lot of times when I just feel like I need that. Well, it's right here in the person of Jesus Christ. God is faithful in a way that goes beyond human ability to understand. We waver in our loyalties. We're fickle in our faithfulness. We have moments of doubt and despair when we become overwhelmed. We all have days when we just aren't feeling it. But just like R.C. Sproul said, I don't always feel his presence, but God's promises do not depend upon my feelings. They rest upon his integrity. He also said we're secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because Jesus holds tightly to us. It's not about how you feel. It's about His integrity. And I'm here to tell you, we have a God who is faithful. That's the source of our encouragement. The unwavering hope in the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus as He washes us spotlessly clean and continually intercedes on our behalf and so that through His righteousness, not mine, I can boldly enter into the presence of God himself. Woo! 
So you tell me, do you feel encouraged? I feel encouraged. And you know what? I want to be an encouragement to the people around me. So what does it look like for us to encourage others? What is encouragement? We get some insight into that in the remainder of our passage here. Verses 24 and 25 say, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stir one another up to love. Encouragement is about inspiring love. Have you ever been around someone that was just so filled with the love of God that it just overflowed onto the people all around them? Let me tell you something. We got some people like that right here in our church. Praise the Lord we do because I need them. There have been some times that they have rescued me from the pit of despond, you know. Um, so I, 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 I am proud to say we have them in our church. I'm proud in Christ to say that they're here in our church. I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of person that just overflows with the love of God and splashes it all around me. Do you want to be like that? I'm going to tell you the secret to how to be like that. Are you ready? Here it is. Stop covering up your broken places. I, some of you are looking at me confused. I'm going to explain. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We heard the word comfort there a bunch of times, right? That word comfort that's used there is the word paraclesis. And it has the same root word that we get the word parakleo from. And in Hebrews 10.25, that's translated as encouragement. Let me give you an example of how this is supposed to work. If I had a paper cup up here, that's a useful thing, right? I can fill it up with water. I can take a drink. I can put jelly beans in it and carry them around. M&M's so that they won't mount in my hand. Because despite what the commercial says, they do. You can tell I'm on a diet, right? I'm thinking about jelly beans. And... <laughs> but if I take that cup and I take a pencil and I poke a bunch of holes in that cup, I, in a matter of seconds, take that cup from being a useful thing and I make it into garbage just like that, just by poking those holes in it. And you know what? That's what you were too before Jesus. You were a broken vessel fit for nothing. Fit for nothing. But if I take that cup and I place it under a water source where it's continually filled with clean, fresh water, you know what happens? Every single one of those broken places becomes a fountain of clean, fresh water spraying out to be able to fill up other vessels all around it. And you know what? That's the way it works for you too. You are the same way. Those broken places that made you garbage, the flowing love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ transforms them into the fountains of his love, his mercy, his grace, his encouragement onto the people around you. But in order for it to work, you got to put yourself where you're going to get filled up and you got to stop covering up those broken places. You got to let them fly. The best thing about you is those broken places because those are the places where God can come pouring out onto the people around you. I'm proud of my broken places. I got plenty of them. 
Plenty. You want to see them? I'll come tell you all about them. Because telling you about my broken places is telling you about my Savior and what He's done for me. And I can never get enough of talking about that. It's my favorite thing to do. Just ask anybody who's come and gotten an earful from me about it. And don't worry. You are not going to get emptied out as long as you continue allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you back up again. You've got to let it flow through you. And when you do, your love will say more than nothing. We also learn in the same verse, verse 24, that encouragement is about motivating service. It says we should consider how to stir one another to love and good works. In the year 2000, Catherine Ryan Hyde wrote a novel called Pay It Forward that Warner Brothers later turned into a film. You guys see that film? It has that actor in it that we're not allowed to talk about anymore. Kevin Spacey. Um, in, it, in that film, in the book, there's a concept that's advanced. This idea that if someone does a good deed for you, that you do a good deed for someone else threefold. You pay it forward threefold. Now that concept's not new, though. It actually was first uh, in a book from 1916 uh, by a lady named Lily Hardy in a book called In the Garden of Delight. And it was later uh, made popular by, by writers like Robert Heinlein and Ray Bradbury. Before you think that I'm a really well-read guy, though, let me tell you that that is not the place that I, ex I was exposed to it for the first time, okay? I first received it in a much more sober medium, actually. It was in the literary masterwork, Marvel Team-Up number 126, from February of 1983. <laughs> now, some of you may not be familiar with this high literature that is Marvel Team-Up. Marvel Team-Up is a comic book where superheroes from the Marvel Universe that do not normally appear in team comics, they're usually solos, they appear together in a one-time only one-off or two-off where they team up together to do amazing things. And Marvel uh, Team Up number 126 had two of my favorite superheroes in it. Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk. Love them. They're my all-time favorites. And at the beginning of the book, a down-on-his-luck Peter Parker is given a $5 bill by an old man who just wants to help him out. And then Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk, they team up and they fight some corrupt cops and they do some stuff. And, and at the end of it, they meet together in their, their secret identities. And Peter Parker gives that same $5 bill to Bruce Banner so that he can have some money to leave town and, and continue his little nomadic lifestyle. Okay? Then, the Incredible Hulk helps an old man who's just been mugged. He runs off some muggers that have just robbed an old man. And he turns around and you think, uh-oh, the Hulk's rage is going to get the better of him this time and he's going to hurt this old man and you're worried for him. But no, he reaches into his torn and tattered purple pants and pulls out that $5 bill and he gives it back to the old man. And of course, the frame pans around and we realize it's the same old man that gave Peter Parker the $5 in the first place. I got a little choked up thinking about it. I think I cried when I read it the first time. <laughs> Literary masterwork, right? But that's the idea. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Consider is an interesting word there, isn't it? 
consider kind of implies that we should give it some careful, creative thought. It shouldn't be something that we just dash off at the last second. Oh, you look nice today, sister. Did you get your hair done? You look great. We should take the time to get creative in the way that we inspire love and motivate service in the people around us. We should carefully consider it. It shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be something that we work at. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Our encouragement should be promoting unity. The language that's used there comes from the same Greek root word, espionogo. I'm glad Tony's not here. He'd tell me I mispronounced it. That, that word was used to describe raking coals together. Okay? Raking them together so that they would burn brighter longer. If you get a coal off by itself, it burns out pretty quick. In fact, that's, how you put, that's one of the ways you put out a campfire, right, Mr. Trail Life? You spread the fire out, it burns out a lot quicker than if you have all those coals gathered together. And you know what? We're the same way. Biblical encouragement is about saying more than you're doing great, champ. It's about creatively working toward ways that unify the body of Christ, his church. If, if you see someone drifting away or who's living on the outskirts of our body, if you notice that you haven't seen brother or sister so-and-so in a couple of weeks, say more than nothing. Reach out a hand of hope and pull them back in so that we can all burn brighter longer. Because the world needs our light. And you and I need the warmth. We need each other. We also see here in verse 25 that encouragement is about instilling bravery. It's right there in the word, right? Courage. It's right in the middle of the word. Encouragement is about strengthening each other's faith and helping one another to overcome our fears. And you know what happens when faith gets strong? And when we get brave? Acts 16.5 tells us, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. When faith grows, evangelism happens. It just comes naturally. When your faith is strong, when you're encouraged and you're brave, you have the boldness to speak up in your community, in your homes, in your churches, in your schools. And evangelism happens. People come to know Christ. Lives are changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. Last but certainly not least, the writer of Hebrews tells us that encouragement is about remembering hope. It says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in my Bible, the word day is capitalized. Is it capitalized in your Bible? I think it's capitalized for a specific reason. It's talking about a particular day, don't you? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We need to remember that we have something amazing to look forward to. Dead or alive, we're going to meet Jesus in the air. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. The whole new body thing is seeming pretty good, too. That glorious day is coming. And we have hope even in our darkest hour. So remember that the next time our adversary tries to deceive you into thinking that you have no hope so you can be tricked into giving in to fear and despair. Just as importantly, say more than nothing when you see the people around you struggling with the same thing. When you see them giving in to hopelessness, encourage one another with these words. So now we know the source of our encouragement. We know what that is and we know what encouragement is. It's time to understand why we should encourage, don't you think? It'd be good to know what's at stake if we fail to do our job, right? The first thing we find is that when we encourage, we encourage to prevent the destructive effects of sin. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are called to look out for the spiritual health of the people in our lives. Not in a busybody way but in a way that shows our love, our compassion, and our care for them. Early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in their private devotions, and each one reportedly had a separate spot in the, in the, in the bushes, in the thicket, where they would go to spend time alone with God. And over time, these places, these pathways, became well-worn so that you could tell exactly where each of them went off to their own place. And if a brother or sister began to neglect their private time with God, pretty soon it would start to grow up around it and it became pretty apparent and obvious. And their fellow African brothers and sisters would say to them, brother, grass grows on your path. Let me ask you something. Is grass growing on your path? Is grass growing on the path of the people around you? Your spouse, your children? the people sitting next to you here in church? Is grass growing on their path? If you love them, encourage them. Say something. Do something. Sometimes encouraging our children means you're going. It doesn't matter what you want. You're doing it. It doesn't matter that you don't want to. That's what encouraging our children and raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord is. You don't give them a choice. You're doing it. We are to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Say more than nothing. Secondly, when we encourage, it makes it easier to love as Jesus loved. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're commanded to share the love of God. Loving the people around us is one of the distinguishing marks and characteristics of what a disciple is. We throw that word around a lot in churches, right? Disciples, discipling, discipleship, being disciple makers. We talk about it a lot. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you're wondering what that word means and you haven't really drilled down into it good, it's about loving people so radically, so overwhelmingly, that the people around us think we're nuts. It's about turning the world upside down with our love. Our love being the distinguishing characteristic that people cannot deny or ignore. The Bible tells us that people were known as Christians by their love. I'm telling you, that is not what 21st century Christians are known by. I'm not talking about the people in this room. I'm talking about capital C Church. Our church is no longer known by that. It ought to be. We ought to start a fire here in this room that spreads throughout the Christian churches around the world so that we do become known for our love. But we become known more for what we are against than who we are for. And that's not okay. I'm not saying we shouldn't take a stand for Scripture. We should love Scripture too. We should love our Lord. And we should love each other radically. Self-sacrificially powerfully, remarkably. We are commanded to share the love of God. Loving people around us is the key identifying mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So let's be honest. Some people are harder to love than others. My wife will tell you that at times I'm one of those people. She's right. We need to remind one another to be compassionate. We need to look at others the way that Jesus looked at them. I had a student of mine once that said, we all need to get some Jesus goggles. She was right. The Bible tells us that when Jesus looked at the crowds around him, he was moved with compassion because they were sheep like sheep without a shepherd. That word moved with compassion, it was a twisting in his guts. It made him physically ill. It upset his stomach to see the needs of the people. Sheep without a shepherd are dead meat. They are dead meat. There are some breeds of sheep that if they get flipped on their back, they can't even flip back over again. Sheep without a shepherd are dead meat. And when Jesus saw the people around him, that's what he saw. And it moved him because he loved them. 
We need to look to others the way that Jesus looked at them. We need to love them as he loved them, and we need, we need encouragement to do it. We need to encourage one another to see what Jesus saw. Pastor Chris and I do this for each other all the time. All the time. We get frustrated. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit is good. Our God is good. And when one of us is frustrated, the other one is okay. And we're able to encourage each other and bring each other out of our our little blues there. We're able to provide perspective and and help each other to see the lovable nature of the people around us. If there's nothing else to love in somebody, love the image of God in them. We need to love people the way He loved them. Encouragement also gives us hope. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety and depression affect more than 50 million Americans each year. And do you know what research tells us is is the root of all this anxiety and depression? It's hopelessness. It's hopelessness. And it's easy to understand why people are feeling hopeless. They've tried their hardest to forget about God. They've abandoned the Word of God. They've banned prayer. They've reduced life to a a, a random set of biological processes. What do they have to be hopeful about? You know and I know, and it's up to us to encourage them and show them. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. People need to be reminded of the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. When you see people around you depressed and anxious, say more than nothing. Share the hope that can be found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Encouragement also helps us through times of discipline and testing. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. James chapter 1 says we should count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. When you see the people around you struggling and discouraged as they face challenges and trials in their lives, say more than nothing. Encourage them to endure in their faithfulness. Reach out a hand of hope to them and remind them that whom the Lord loves, He chastens. I use an example when I do counseling a lot. If we take a block of marble and we take a marble statue crafted by Michelangelo. There is a qualitative value difference between the two. And yet, that block of marble would scream at the blows of the hammer and the chisel, even as it was being molded into something of higher value, of greater worth. We are the same way. We scream at the blows of our master, that are needed to shape us into the masterpieces that He knows we can be. 
Before you were formed in your mother's womb, He knew you. He knew you what you could be. He knew what He could shape you into. But it takes some work, takes some effort, takes some pain. And the only way you can get through it is if you lean into it in the love of the Lord, allow the Word of God to encourage you, and if we encourage one another, because we aren't meant to do this on our own. We have to say more than nothing. We should also encourage because we belong to Jesus Christ. Here's the best reason of all to encourage someone. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You deserved destruction, but God selected you for grace. He didn't just rescue you when you were drowning. He dove to the bottom of the deepest ocean and he scooped up your corpse from the bottom of the ocean and he pulled you back to the surface and he breathed life back into you again. You were dead, now you're alive, amen? Amen. We belong to him. We belong to our Savior. And he commands us to encourage one another. I don't need another reason. His word is enough for me to say more than nothing. So, Who should be an encourager? The Bible makes it clear that this is a special ministry, a ministry of encouragement. I know we have all met some people who have seemed like they have a ministry of discouragement, but that's not what we're going for here. We're going for a ministry of encouragement, okay? Um, And and a ministry of encouragement, the Bible makes it clear that they are certain people that are gifted as encouragers. Acts 44.36 tells us about a man named Joseph. He was a native of Cyprus, and he's a member of the tribe of Levites, and he was such a gifted encourager that the apostles called him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. It was like he was so gifted as with encouragement that people just went around calling him Mr. Encouragement. Do you know anyone like that? Can you think of folks like that here in our church? I can. I can. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 6-8, that if you're one of those people that are gifted as an encourager, that you have an obligation to do it. You should say more than nothing. How many of you have taken a spiritual gifts inventory and you've, you've had it come up on your test that you're an encourager? Ooh, it's a rare gift. It's a rare gift. If you did, then you have an obligation to cultivate and employ that gift for God's glory. Don't bury it in the ground and wait till your master returns. You have an obligation to say more than nothing. But let me tell you something. You know who else should be an encourager? Everyone else. (laughs) In Acts chapter 13, the elders of the church there sent a request. They sent it to all the churches in the area. They said, brothers... If you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Just say it, please. We're desperate. Say more than nothing. 
Over and over again throughout Scripture, we're told how important it is for us all to be encouragers. Just because you didn't get that answer from a spiritual gifts inventory, you are still obligated to say more than nothing. And let me tell you something. Here's the thing about spiritual gifts. They come from the Holy Spirit. I know, radical concept, right? That means that if God wants to use you to do something, He is going to use you to do it regardless of what, you, what score you got on a test. I think sometimes we get so caught up in what a test written by a bunch of men says that we forget about what the Lord says about us. You're commanded to be an encourager. Arbitrary answers on a test don't matter. If God wants you to do it, guess what? He is faithful and just to give you the power to do it. He'll not leave you or forsake you. We should all seek to be encouragers. We should encourage our fellow believers. We should encourage our families. We should also encourage unbelievers to come to know our Lord Jesus. We should say more than nothing. So, how do we encourage? Well, I, I might have mentioned it once or twice in this sermon. Um, we should say more than nothing. Acts 15 says that Judas and Silas encouraged people with many words. 1 Corinthians 14 says that we should speak up so people can be built up, encouraged, and consoled. 1 Thessalonians 4 actually gives you some specific words to encourage people. I read them earlier. So what do your words say? Do you talk about nonsense? Do you spend more time talking about what happened on Big Brother last night or The Bachelor? Is Big Brother even still on? I don't know. Are you, are you more concerned with talking to people about what you saw on TV or what you're going to see on TV or what Sister So-and-So said or uh, what's on sale this week at the grocery store or, or what sports team is playing this week and what their odds are? Or are you spending more time having an impact with your words on what people are saying? Because I'm telling you, if you're wasting your words... If all you talk about is empty, nonsensical things that don't build people up, then guess what? You are using many words to say nothing. Christians used to ask each other regularly. It was a regular part of, of Christian life with one another. What word did you receive from the, from the Lord this week? What did you get from God's word this week? Share it with me. I'm desperate for it, and I'll share what I got for, with you. That's how we used to talk to each other. If anybody other than me did that, you'd look at them like they were weird. If I do it, you're like, oh, that's just pastor. Pastors are supposed to talk like that, right? I better have an answer ready. You might ask me again next week. We're supposed to do that. People of old did. They shared truths from Scripture with each other instead of just filling the air with their opinions. They sought sound doctrine in the truth of God's holy word. They said more than nothing. We need to say more than nothing. We need to speak up. It's not enough to stay silent when you have nothing nice to say. You have an obligation to find something nice to say. You have an obligation to say more than nothing. When you see your brother and your sister in Christ drifting away, say more than nothing. 
When your child is neglecting their devotions or refusing to go to church or youth group, say more than nothing. When you see someone discouraged and hurting, say more than nothing. When a family is going through a trial, say more than nothing. And when you see someone lost and dead in their sin, say more than nothing. There's too much at stake to stay silent. And you know the best way to say more than nothing? With your faithfulness. Paul tells us right at the beginning of the book of Romans in chapter 1 that we are mutually encouraged by each other's faithfulness. Our lives should be models of faithfulness and encouragement. They should say more than nothing. I put it this way when I talk to parents in counseling. Imagine taking your kids and sitting them down on a couch and saying, all right, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at the way that I dress, look at the way that I eat, look at the way that I talk to people, look at the way that I treat your mother or treat your father, look at the way that I drive, look at the way that I pay my taxes, look at the, way, the words of respect that I, I give to my government, to my, my Lord, to my pastor, to my church. Look at whether or not I'm honest and, and I keep my word. Look at everything I do and do exactly the same thing I do. Now, if having that kind of conversation with your kids gives you a bit of pause, if you start thinking, there's some stuff that I'm doing I don't want my kids to do, stop doing it! Let your life say more than nothing. I'm here to tell you the influence that you have, the modeling influence that you have over your kids is much more significant than any counseling, or any, any couch conversation. It's much more significant than sitting your kids down and saying, do like I do. They are watching you. And they are doing what you do. And you know what? It's not just our kids. When we tell people that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole world is watching. We are on display, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and our faithfulness matters. We are held to a high standard. The book of James tells us that we are held to a high standard. That what we say, what we do matters. It has significance. It has impact. You are having an impact. Your life is already saying something. So make sure that what it says is an encouragement. Say something that matters. Say more than nothing with your life. Let your faithfulness to God be an encouragement to the people around you. The consequences are just too dire to waste time doing anything else. We need to remember the good news of the gospel. We've been given the greatest gift in all of history. We've been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we've been given the confidence to enter boldly into the presence of our Lord and our Savior, boldly to enter into the presence of God. Jesus' righteousness has restored our relationship with our loving Creator. Amen? Amen. So if that encourages you, tell somebody about it today. Say more than nothing. Let us pray.